And now, now you screwed up my ending. I don't even remember what we were, I was going to say. Wait, I have a quick question before we wrap it up. Yep. Are, well, is I, a hot dog a sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, the cube roll will help you define that. <laughs> Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Floor 9. Uh, I am your host, Scott Elcherson, and with me today, as always, is Adam Simon, my co-host. Adam, say hello. Hello. And we have two gaming experts from the lab here. First, we have uh, Mr. Ben Hone. Hey there. And uh, Ryan Miller. How's it going? And today's all about esports and gaming. That's why we have both of you here with us behind the mic. So, uh, you know, Ben, quickly, and, and, and Ryan, how about you guys just give a little bit of a background on yourselves and what you've been doing in the space and at the lab? Sure. So I have been working for about the past year or so with Hershey specifically in their esports and gaming initiatives. Uh, we've done a number of different um, media buys within the space. We've done some sponsored influencer streams. We have sponsored esports events with sampling opportunities so uh we've kind of explored a pretty much everything yeah you got it all. <laughs> yeah we've explored a good breadth of the um esports and gaming ecosystem awesome well that's and that's why we have you guys here to talk about everything that is uh going on in the space today uh ryan quickly about yourself yeah um i'm a fairly new addition to the me i'm a fairly new addition to the media lab only been here for three months but been supporting ben on the hershey's endeavors and as he i just want to echo his sentiment we've kind of explored every nook and cranny of the esports and gaming space so uh i think we have a pretty good understanding of where the space is going and what new developments are on the horizon I feel like I've been supporting Ryan for the better part of the last couple months, but tomato, tomato. Um, well, with that, I think we should dive into um, kind of the recent news uh, as to why we're doing this episode, and that is uh, the launch of Google Stadia. Uh, and for those of the listeners that don't know what Google Stadia is, I'm going to toss it over to my co-host, Adam. Uh, quickly, what, what is Google Stadia? Um, and also, why is November such a hot month for all these new uh, product announcements? Google, <laughs> Apple, Disney+, Plus, the new MacBook. I mean, it's crazy. You, you got to get them up before the holidays. It's basically your last chance. So. That's true. Uh, Google Stadia is uh, Google's entry into the cloud-based gaming market, um, which means that uh, you can play... Uh, video games in on Google Stadia, which uh, run in Google's data center on Google Cloud uh, and stream to your phone or your tablet or your PC or Mac or your Chromecast. Um, and so because, you know, it runs in the cloud, the idea here is that you can get, you know, really uh, top-notch graphics and performance um, using Google's computers, uh, and then you can use you can display that on any device. And what Google has said is that they've overcome the major challenge uh, to cloud-based gaming, which is latency. Uh, because mm -hmm. every time you hit a button on a controller or even just on your screen, it has to send that information back to the server. The computer at the, in the in the data center has to take an action, then send the resulting image on the screen back to your uh, your your device. Um, and that has been the thing that has really kept uh, cloud-based gaming from taking off in the past. Yep. And I think I would just add that we're not just talking about Candy Crush and Two Dots here. We're right. talking about AAA, you know, pr premium yep. game releases yep. like 
Red Dead Redemption 2, Call of Duty, things that you would normally play on yep. a PC or a console. Destiny, yeah. all yeah. that stuff. And to, to your point about latency, right, just for our, our listeners, uh, if you look at all the pro esports players out there today, that's why you see them hardwire everything into their computers. They have a keyboard that has an, a, an actual USB attachment to it, a mouse with a USB attachment to it, and they have LAN cables because that gives them the most optimal performance uh, when it comes to playing a game. So that way you don't have latency, which then can cause you to lose uh, in a game. Right. So half a second can yeah. spell disaster when it comes to latency so when you're trying to click on heads yes <laughs> yeah so we're, when professional gamers are worried about the latency of bluetooth for a device that's sitting a foot away from the computer <laughs> and google is saying we're going to send this data you know miles and miles away to a, a server center somewhere uh that's it's a bold claim yes uh, and uh you know i, I think um they have kind of made it work uh it doesn't not work let's right. put it that way yeah. and also like, i think i think that goes into like the um kind of the first reactions like wh- how has it been received because it seems like in general yes there are some issues with it but it works and in itself that's pretty impressive for you know what this technology can do to be able to play a game in you know anywhere technically yeah i am totally bullish on the future of cloud-based gaming i think that it could be as disruptive as Netflix was to watching TV shows and movies where, you know, we're, we're not going to Blockbuster anymore oh, right, you know, yeah. <laughs> to, to get our movies. So um, long term, very bullish. I think that they made a lot of announcements and promises of what would be shipping with Google Stadia at launch, um, which I think it's still very much a beta product at this point. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most exciting things that we were interested in was uh, their integration with YouTube, where you would be able to basically save your game um, and, uh, and have it embedded in a YouTube stream. So I could be streaming on YouTube live. You could be watching me. I could hit a button on the controller and then you could jump into the game at exactly that moment. And that's a really cool feature that has never been possible before. It's a great example of like, this is the kind of thing that really only a cloud-based gaming system could do. Uh, unfortunately, that's not currently shipping. <laughs> uh, and we, we d- it definitely would be a huge, uh, I think, marketing advantage for Stadia as well, as well as for YouTube gaming, obviously. Even though that functionality is unavailable at you know the offset, I think that the opportunity for people to experience cloud-based gaming is something that Google was right to get to first to market. I think that this is going to open up an opportunity for other platforms to follow suit, and we're going to see who's going to be able to build the best competitor to Stadia at the moment. So I just want to say that Stadia is actually not first to market. There have been several other cloud-based gaming services over the years. Uh, notably, there is currently one uh, that Sony runs on PlayStation. Um, this was their solution for the PS4 not being backwards compatible with the PS3, so you can stream PS3 games um, to your PS4. Good idea. It's terrible. It doesn't work very well. Uh, even the fact that you're running older games uh, and therefore the graphics, you know, are not as sophisticated and everything, it still does not work great. There was also a uh, that was also that was a Sony acquisition. They acquired the company that made that technology originally. Around the same time, there was another competitor called OnLive uh, that was trying to do cloud-based gaming as well. Also crashed and burned. It never really worked. So far, Stadia does look like they've they're in a better position than either of those previous solutions um, which is good it's good for google part of stadia is also a sort of marketing ploy for google cloud to sort of show how performant it is and how advanced it is um i, I i'm just a i'm a little skeptical about the idea that 
fast forward 10 years and all these problems have been solved, everyone has better broadband, that everybody's only going to be playing games in the cloud. I'm a little skeptical because we've seen this we see this every once in a while in the computing industry. Um, they usually call it thin clients. It's the idea that you're using uh, the device the consumer is interacting with is as lightweight from a computing perspective as possible with a network connection, and then everything runs on the server. Uh, Microsoft tried to do this years ago. Um, I think the current example of the thing that works the best is uh, Chromebooks, um, which are basically just you know netbooks that are you're using a browser to access everything on a server. Uh, and Chromebooks certainly are useful and it's totally fine if what you're doing is typing in Google Docs all day. And Chromebooks can run uh, Stadia games. Um, but the problem with the thin client approach to computing is that as soon as uh, as soon as you commoditize the hardware, things start to shift and move in new directions. And there will always be a use case, and games are a great example of this, for the highest end hardware possible with the lowest latency and uh, the, uh, you know, perhaps even uh, control interfaces that aren't yet uh, possible to be uh, streamed. So I kind of feel like there is going to be a segment of the gaming market that might go to cloud-based gaming. But I'm skeptical that it's going to be all of the gaming market. And as long as there is still a high end, I think that serious gamers, definitely professional gamers, but also just serious, you know, hobbyist gamers are still going to be probably be buying hardware, um, especially when you see, you know, we're, we're Black Friday is uh, coming up and there is a an Xbox that can do uh, 4K content that is selling for $150, which is the price of Stadia if you buy the Chromecast with the uh with the controller. Yeah, well, I'm in the market for an Xbox, so I'll note that for uh, <laughs> for later. But I mean, to your point, all right, like I, I'm i looking at this as like the kind of what, where they're looking to, you know, get consumer adoption. I think it's going to be more in the hobbyist and to like to start, like obviously, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to go for like like the professional sports aspect of it. But the convenience of what this, you know, can give you right uh, playing anywhere, you know, saving stages be- between different devices. Uh, I think that idea of like just being good enough to be able to have that access is something that a lot of consumers have always wanted, uh, and this allows them to kind of bring themselves outside the home and play in multiple different places, you know, around the world. So it's like I I can see the benefit to it, like I, but I think there's there'll be a, a trade off. You know, it's like convenience versus like the better graphics. Like I think convenience must, you know might win on this one. I don't know. I'm skeptical. Skeptical. Um, It's also, it's like, like, you know, it's uh, things move forward. Like things, as soon as technology becomes commoditized in that way, something, it, the high end moves in a, in a new direction. Like the high end of gaming might be VR. VR hasn't really taken off, but it's also enough data that you can't stream that. You're not going to be mm-hmm. able to to have it run a cloud-based VR system because the latency will literally make you sick um, from moving <laughs> your head and trying to stream that data. So I do think that, uh, you know, not, I'm not, obviously VR is not entirely taken off, but it is an example of something that, you know, do, can't really work in the system right now. So how would you contrast what Google's doing with Stadia to Apple Arcade and, you know, taking different segments of the market? Do you think that Apple is setting themselves up for success by focusing specifically on more mobile based games um, to kind of own that niche before expanding to some of the higher AAA games, if that's even an ambition of theirs? I think that Apple will never expand into the high end. Um, I I mean, I think we might see somebody create something with high end graphics for Apple Arcade, but they're never going to have Destiny and and Assassin's Mm -hmm. Creed inside of Apple Arcade. Otherwise, they'd have them on MacBooks already. Well, (laughs) yes, Uh, (laughs) but they they would have devoted more resources to having AAA games available on 
on their computers. I think the thing is the business model. So Apple Arcade is only really comparable to Stadia um, in that there is a subscription tier. So Apple Arcade, $5, you get any game on Apple Arcade for $5 a month. That is very clearly targeting super casual gamers. I mean, it's also targeting more serious gamers because it's so inexpensive and there are some quality games there. But it is makes it easy to target somebody who barely cares and otherwise might not be spending any money on a game um, because they might just be playing free games and here's a bunch of high-quality games without ads for $5. Stadia has a subscription tier. It's very complicated. It has a subscription yes. <laughs> tier for $10 where you get some games, which is very similar to what um, Microsoft and Sony do on their, their consoles, where you get a sort of quote-unquote curated selection of games every month. Um, but then they you also buy games like you do for Xbox or PlayStation. Right. Uh, so the fact that they're still asking you to, if, if you have no other if you want to use Stadia as your only gaming service, that you're still spending 60 bucks for a new game when it comes out is a very different proposition than what Apple is proposing. Um, and uh, I do think that people who are going to spend 60 bucks on a new game that just came out are probably also willing to spend at least $150 to buy the console uh, to play it on to sort of make that experience more seamless and guaranteed. Uh, so I think there's still a lot more that needs to actually develop and be built on it. Uh, but as if as an initial concept it's okay it seems like it'll be what it is and it's like people are okay with it right now i i just am because of the launch and because of the fact that it's weirdly targeting like serious gamers with a thing that they probably are that they probably don't need right now mm-hmm. the big opportunity for them is when uh the consoles move to the next generation so xbox and playstation will both in holiday of 2020 be releasing their next generation consoles Google before then needs to convince these gamers that they don't need to upgrade to those consoles and lay out another $500 or whatever when they're still going to be very expensive. Uh, And instead that they can move to Stadia because Stadia will advance sort of on the server side behind the scenes. I think that's their opportunity. Mm -hmm. If they by next year don't really convince a, a decent percentage of those gamers that they can go with Stadia instead of with one of the new consoles, I can really quickly see Google losing interest in this and right. just moving away, which is always the fear with a Google product. Right. They, they, oh, and they have a tendency of getting distracted. And thus becomes, so like they, like there are competitors, obviously Microsoft has X cloud. Uh, Valve is building one. Yep. Uh, with the, like, they're like they're like based on steam. And then we have NVIDIA has like their GeForce streaming service. So um, to your point, that might be a benefit for some of these platforms that already have a hardware device, right? Where it's like maybe X just becomes a service on top of what you already pay for your Xbox. Right. So, this, so, that, so, they, so then you get the best of both worlds. Uh, so that way you have, you have the portability, but you also have like that in-home like reliability of a hardware device. So we talked about the division of the audiences being hobby to, hobbyists and serious gamers. I think where the real division lies for me, at least, is online gamers versus offline gamers. So when you're playing an online, you know, let's call it a first-person shooter, the, the latency is obviously the biggest factor in terms of how the gameplay performs. Mm-hmm. When you're playing a single-player campaign game, if you're getting delivered a close to 4k video stream and you know you're not noticing any glitches in the game i think that the portability will ultimately outweigh whatever experience downgrade you're going to have between that top level hardware that we're talking about Mm -hmm. in an xbox or a playstation versus what's available through google stadia probably no coincidence that when they first announced google stadia they used assassin's creed as the launch game that they were featuring for that very reason Right. And Destiny 2, you know, the jury's still out in terms of playability, especially since 
cross-platform play doesn't exist specifically for that game but i've noticed some screenshots of a tomb raider game i forget the exact name of that title and you've seen a little bit of drop equality versus xbox versus stadio or playstation versus stadia but it's not to the point where the game is unplayable and if you have the availability to play that game on your commute just like we've seen with people downloading you know netflix specials and stuff like that that wasn't available 10 years ago and you know there's a lot less people reading books and a lot people enjoying different forms Mm -hmm. of content these days and i think that's a huge selling point so especially as we see people move towards more mobile gate mobile based gaming solutions i think that this is a unique offering that people are going to take advantage of so can we just talk about what is the unique offering there are so many competitors in the space why is stadia differentiating from the rest is it just because of the access to servers that they have that and the network that they've created why would i go and get stadia as opposed to nvidia's solution or valve or xcloud yeah that's a great question especially considering the selection of games is pretty small at this point Uh, that's another challenge for them is getting publishers on board Um, and I, I I don't think there's a great answer, and I think especially with um, Sony and Microsoft, you know, having big releases next fall, I think uh, we're all going to be looking to see: is there a cloud-based solution to this? Am I buying one of these new consoles? Maybe, and also adding on a service that allows me to play these games remote, remotely. Uh, that you know, they they could differentiate that way because they have really long-standing publisher relationships. And if, you know, Microsoft and Sony say you want to be on the Xbox, whatever, and the PS five, you have to sign up for our cloud-based gaming service. They can force publishers into that position. Whereas uh, Google's really standing over here with a, a carrot. And I think the carrot is uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah, nope. yep. I totally agree. I totally and, agree. Uh, good, that luck, feature. good luck getting people to buy your games if they're not aware of them. <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> and I, I think that YouTube could be a big carrot, but until they actually ship it, uh, and who knows when that will be, hopefully it'll be before next fall. Um, <laughs> but until they actually ship it uh, and we start seeing numbers on those games, I think it's hard to say exactly how important that will be. Is next year's <laughs> console release the next PlayStation Xbox is that the la- is that going to be the last generation of disc or cartridge based consoles? I actually don't think that the next Xbox will have a disc option. I think it will all be digital. I think Sony will has, has already said that they will maintain a disc based mm-hmm. option, but I think Microsoft is. Uh, I think they've been vague about it, but I don't think it will have a disc based option. And I I don't think that that's ultimately the determiner is will that be the last non-base cloud solution or non-cloud based solution? So like even though, you know, Xbox Xbox might do away with their disc or cartridge, you know, component to it. I think the real question is ultimately how are we going to be downloading games in the future or will we be downloading them period? Yeah, and I know Sony has said that they're moving to a hybrid system where it downloads chunks of a game, basically, so you don't have to store the whole game locally. So, sorry, GameStop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that writing was on the wall for a long time. (laughs) I mean, the other element to all this that we need to consider is that Google is also setting up this platform to, um, to, to gain traction with one of their biggest consumer sets, which is the streamers themselves, right? They're setting up this platform to exist in a way where streamers can create value and earn money during their streams by 
offering things like the, uh, you know, wait to play with your favorite streamer. Like, sure, I, I understand, Ryan, what you were saying before. Like, sounds like there might be long waits or whatever. But if you put in a mechanism where the streamer can say, skip the line for $5 or, you know, elite level subscribers don't have, ever have to wait, then all of a sudden they're monetizing a lot, which is super important, especially mm-hmm. when we're thinking about the streaming platform battle for talent that's going on right now that we're going to cover in a little bit. But, um, you know, just putting the tools into these people's hands to make sure that they're getting paid as much as possible for the time they're spending on the platform is a huge segment that I think is it's interesting how uh, Google is approaching that with Stadia. Before we were talking about the allegiances that publishers have to the old guard in terms of, you know, Sony and Microsoft. But do we think that we're ever going to see another situation where a publisher will ultimately reign supreme over, you know, control of their game? Epic is kind of the first one that pushed into that space and cross platform play is available across everything, PC, PlayStation, Xbox. And if other publishers are able to develop premium AAA titles that rival the success of Fortnite, and that's a huge if there could be a lot more opportunity from the publisher side of things to control how the gaming space evolves. Yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, we've seen other publishers do that as well, push for cross-platform play. The publishers obviously don't like the fragmentation in the market um, because it does uh, you know, push people to, from uh, playing with their friends on their games. And in a game like Fortnite, where getting people in the game is the way that you make money, it obviously makes sense that, that you are on every platform. Notably, though, Fortnite is not on Stadia at launch, which is a big question. <laughs> question mark for me uh, as to, uh, you know, if you have a free to play game like that, uh, how was Google? I'm sure they were approached at some point. How was Google not able to convince Epic to be on on uh, Stadia at launch day like that says something bad to me about what's going on behind the scenes? Yeah, well, I think there's definitely a lot more uh, that is going to be unveiled in these coming weeks and months. Uh, so it's something that we're going to be tracking and you know definitely having more conversations about. But uh, to Ben's point, I do want to kind of shift into some, you know another aspect of what we're seeing uh, in the esports and gaming space today, and that's what's actually going on with the talent. Uh, I think for the first time ever, we're starting to see exclusive deals uh, happen between platforms uh, and the influencers themselves. So notably, Ninja uh, and Shroud, two of Twitch's top streamers, have now signed exclusive deals uh, with Mixer. For those that don't know, Mixer is uh, Microsoft's Twitch competitor uh, and is currently much smaller in the market. So obviously, I think this is one of their attempts to grow uh, Mixer's share of uh, kind of hour streamed and content that is being you know produced on their platform. But as our two esports experts, you know, in the space, like what are you guys you know thinking about as we see these kind of like talent shifts? So the Mixer deal with Ninja makes a lot of sense when he first came up as a streamer he was a halo streamer and so they definitely want him in the fold for the launch of halo infinite next year so uh, i think to them they're looking at it as kind of a sponsorship media type deal for Mm -hmm. awareness and everything Um, so that that one makes sense and it has created this kind of arms race to to lock in talent to your second question about how has this impacted twitch I think that just the nature of the um, the audience, the, their behavior on the platform um, has made it simple for Twitch to kind of rebound from the loss of Ninja, so to mm-hmm. speak. Not, not saying that they needed to rebound at all, but um, what I mean is they when when someone goes onto Twitch and let's say I'm a huge Tim the Tapman 
fan. If I go on and Tim is not currently streaming, I'm not going to be as likely to go and look at his video on-demand content on Twitch. I'm just going to go to my next favorite streamer. Um, and that's kind of the mentality that has allowed uh, Twitch to maintain its its audience share because when people go on and they don't see Ninja on there, they just go to the next person that's playing Fortnite. Um, so I, I think that you know in the long run, they're, they're going to be okay, but they are starting to uh, sign their own exclusive deals. Facebook Gaming has some exclusive deals as well with talent. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Yeah, we just talked about Facebook Gaming. They just signed Disguised Toast, whom listeners may not be familiar with, but he's a big League of Legends and Teamfight Tactics um, streamer, and he commands, at least on a Twitch basis, around 15 to 20 concurrent follow 20k concurrent followers um so we'll see if that audience is ultimately going to shift over to facebook um but we see youtube as well trying to implement the same strategy they took over one of twitch's biggest streamers jack Cards jd dunlop yeah he's had a lot of success playing fortnite and he's also known throughout the community as a caster so trying to attract these people to your platforms is a good strategy to get people to at least switch over and try but at least from a metric standpoint i don't think we've seen it work over the course of let's say the three months that ninjas right. moved over to mixer yeah. he used to command an audience you know anywhere between 50 to 75k concurrent viewers every time he was playing fortnite at least because that was the game of the moment but right now on mixer we're seeing those audiences fall into the 8 to 12k range yeah. And it's interesting to kind of think about, I, I think to me, I just go back to, you know, who's got the money uh, because it's like for, for Ninja or Shroud or any, any of these guys to, in a sense, cut off more than like two thirds of their entire audience by going to one of these platforms. Got to be a lot of cash involved in that. Uh, but I also think about, to your point, Ben, it's, there has to be more to it from a, a, like a larger business standpoint, a larger marketing standpoint uh, that they're going to you know, think about utilizing them just outside of, you know, what they're known for, which is like the streaming audience. Like, I think there's more to it. I think it's an interesting, as everything's unfolding, it's interesting to see this exercise of like, what is this audience loyal to? Right. Are they loyal to the streamers? Are they loyal to the games that they watch? Are they loyal to the platforms? And right now, you know, as Ryan said, it's only been about three months since Ninja made the leap, but it seems like they're pretty loyal to the platforms. And Conversely, what are these content creators loyal to? I think a big reason that we're seeing this exodus from Twitch, well, I wouldn't classify it as an exodus just yet, but yeah. we're seeing <laughs> a few people, a, a couple of big names move elsewhere because the rigors of streaming every day and maintaining that audience and making sure you hit your sub count is a long, grueling road. You know, mm -hmm. for Ninja to maintain, you know, that 100K subscriber mark, it required him to be always on pretty much and now with the move to mixer he's afforded a little bit more of you know creative flexibility in terms of his scheduling what games he plays what kind of content he produces so we're giving we're seeing this shift where content creators are being given a little bit more license to own their brand as they move to other platforms but i don't think that opportunity still does not exist on twitch i think we're seeing a lot of other streamers rise to prominence because of the move away from some of these other names and i think they're still going to be the leader in this space for the foreseeable future well said that's yeah that was some Great insights. Adam, do you have anything to say to that? What, what, what are your thoughts on all of this? You have been quiet in this, you know, <laughs> I, this dr like the drama that is happening in the world of uh, <laughs> esports and gaming. I, I 
think that, uh, yeah, I think that the point that um, viewers might be more loyal to the platform than to the uh, streamer themselves, I think is interesting. I think it, if you look at YouTube in that light, it it's an interesting thing to think about because uh, people are already active on YouTube for other reasons. And so that, I think, is Google's opening to attract them to watch game streams because they're already using YouTube for other purposes. So I think that opens a window there. That might be their in, um, but I don't know that they're going to be necessarily stealing share as much as adding uh, more use cases for people watching game streams. And they might be stealing share from other YouTube creators, but right. maybe not from from uh, from Twitch and Mixer. And I think targeting people where they're at is exactly the strategy that we're yeah. seeing employed by the YouTubes and the Facebooks. I mean, if we compare the viewership numbers of Mixer and Facebook over the last <laughs> year, current in the last month, October 2019, there was 100 million more hours watched on Facebook gaming than Mixer gaming. And maybe that's a recognition thing. Maybe there's a problem with getting people to go to the platform for the first time, but ultimately capturing the attention of these users while they're already on platforms that they use on an almost daily basis seems to be working a lot more effectively than just trying to acquire big name talent. Um, before we move on, just want to mention that uh, Caffeine is taking a, is, is, a, is another live streaming platform that's taking slightly different tactic where they're kind of going after the lifestyle sector of uh, gaming and, and live streaming. Uh, and they actually signed an exclusive with Offset. So going a little bit outside of the gaming content creation space um, to you know more of the uh, adjacent categories as well although he will be street live streaming himself playing video games and i think we're just seeing the entire ecosystem shift in this way as a whole ultimately these are you know gaming first platforms but we're seeing a lot of different types of content emerge on each of these platforms as well yeah which is interesting that was actually um, something that twitch did a couple of years ago in response to their audience where people were live streaming themselves making sculptures and painting and you know working in microsoft excel and twitch kept taking that content down because it wasn't gaming related and the community was saying hey you know these people are good at playing video games i'm good at something too why isn't there a space for me to do this and so they launched twitch creative as a response mm -hmm. to listening to their community and I mean, it's just it goes beyond art too. We're seeing other kinds of content infiltrate the space as oh, well. Man. Cooking, I, eating. Yeah. There was a uh, uh, weightlifting, weightlifting, a ASMR, ASMR. Which, by the way, I think you might, you should probably consider I think I might starting have a, a future yeah. career. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, thumb wrestling was a good one that I saw on there. And I sleeping, mean, even traditional games, Dungeon and Dragons. I mean, on I believe it's Thursdays and nights. It's called Critical Role. They attract around sixty k concurrent um, viewers I've, watching people pretend to be other people and roll dice yeah I'm, they have a whole kickstarter about doing like an animated series that's been funded by like 3x what they wanted it's gonna be awesome i can't wait highly recommend all those that are into that stuff go watch critical role it, scott i i did not because by the time i came by it was already at a million dollars or something like that and they're like oh we only needed two hundred thousand. and i was like, like they're good i'll i'll ride these coattails <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so obviously it's growing a lot and then i like the one thing too is this dimension about thinking about these smaller uh platforms that are continuing to grow it's like the dynamics and mechanisms 
that they're using and building for like their communities to engage are going to be much different than what Twitch is, you know, kind of cur- currently working on. Uh, I think just in general, as we've seen uh, a more larger macro shift to like this idea of like community based systems, like I think, you know, some of these smaller platforms like Mixer, like Caffeine are rethinking how does your community on the on the platform, engage with the streamers. How do you make it more tailored towards like your close friends? And then that way you feel like a more intimate experience. And then from there, you can maybe like level that into like a larger global conversation. But to your point, like on Twitch right now, it's, you know, the chat just flies by. And if you, if you got time to read it, uh, it's kind of hard to see unless you stop and pause and scroll through. But I mean, it just goes and goes and goes. So how do you think about making a more centered and make kind of like community driven and close friends experience? Uh, it's something I think some of these smaller problems are, are, are thinking about and then, you know, it could be a competitive advantage so down the line. Can I posit a question to that point? You can. Do you think that matters? Do you think that people genuinely care about the interactivity of these platforms yeah. or are they going I think, yes. to see the best talent? Yeah, no, I absolutely. I think it's like any other social network, any, any platform like at, like at some point you get big enough. You're like, I was just here for the talent and I, 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 I enjoyed it for what it is, but it's like, I miss the interaction. You know, like I, I miss being a part of like a niche community, a, you know, part of like, you know, like, like the one true fan club for whatever, like the streamer might be. It's, I think that it's something that people are always going to want, uh, and finding new ways to make it back to that, that original kind of like intimacy that was there when, when the platform first started out is something that, um, people are, will want. I mean, Ryan, you and I were at TwitchCon this year and, you know, it was a bunch of friends getting together to meet each other who, you know, maybe they only see each other once a year in person, IRL, uh, but, <laughs> Another great you know, channel. <laughs> but they, uh, but they were, you know, enjoying each other's company and celebrating the community. Um, another thing that I'll just, you know, note anecdotally is that, um, one of the campaigns that we did with Hershey this year, uh, was around heartwarming the world. And we partnered with Dr. Lupo and his wife, Mrs. Dr. Lupo, who is a streamer. And before the first stream, (laughs) um, they sent out a tweet and just said, please share your heartwarming stories that are related to gaming. And we got amazing responses from that. We had people say, uh, you know, I met my fiance through gaming and, you know, I have my group of friends that I you know, play Smash Brothers with, even though we're across the country from each other. Um, we had, you know, people say that this, it's, you know, the time that they spend with their children when they get home from work is just playing Minecraft together, that kind of thing. So um, I definitely think the community aspect is, is very important. Yeah. Well, with that, um, as we're thinking about our brands here, um, how should our brands be thinking about all this? How is this going to be impacting consumer behavior? Uh, what are some opportunities from they get involved? And really, is like, what, what, what are these takeaways uh, that we're seeing in the world of esports and gaming shift and flow into 2020 that our brands should be thinking about and how it can impact what they're doing? Yeah, I think this audience is very tech savvy. They don't um, they don't respond very well when uh, brands see the community as a a target demo no no like as a profiteering opportunity they want brands that um, are authentic that add value to the experience that are not interruptive but are additive Mm -hmm. Um, and to a certain extent i think that seeing some non-endemic brands to gaming participate in the gaming and esports space validates their passion because mm-hmm. they're now seeing, you know, the insurance company that is sponsoring March Madness uh, take an interest and put money into their favorite streamer or the tournament that they've been watching. 
Um, I think that the, the you know the the community is is uh, smart enough to know that they have influencers that they love to watch and interact with and feel like they're best friends with. But on the other hand, they know they understand that this is their full time job, and therefore they need to get paid yeah. <laughs> in order to be available to the audience. And right. so when they see brands sponsoring that and enabling those types of um, of interactions and that that kind of content, they they do appreciate it as long as it's done in the right way. Well said. Anybody else? I mean, that was pretty beautiful, Ben. I don't think I got anything to say to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Ben touched on a lot of the key points, but I just want to bring it back to the audience in general. I think, you know, in the last two years, two years ago, you asked someone like, hey, you watched Ninja on Twitch yesterday? It'd be like, you were really watching someone play video games and not doing it yourself. And now we've just seen this almost exponential rise in audience. When you take inventory of who is a quote-unquote gamer worldwide, you'll find that around 80% of people as a whole identify as a gamer. And while, you know, 15% of that might be specific to platforms and an even lower percentage of that might be for PC gaming, we're seeing, you know, everyone who plays Candy Crush or whatever mobile game, especially with the availability of Apple Arcade, we're seeing more people emerge as gamers because they play in some capacity or other. And I think ultimately what Apple Arcade and other you know subscription-based services are going to do is they're going to afford a larger number of people access to titles that they would have never tried before and ultimately ingrain a behavior with them to move towards something different. So you, know, you might play something in an Apple Arcade, it might pique your interest, and then you're going to be like, wow, maybe there's a more you know holistic experience to be had out there. I'm going to pick up an Xbox controller or maybe on my computer, I'm going to download a different game. So I think that ultimately we're seeing more people enter the ecosystem as a result of all of these options available. Yeah, it's 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 part of mainstream culture now. You know, Once you have your first millionaire that making money streaming video games, everybody wants to be that so that they can kind of, you know, get in on the action. And I think we've seen, you know, culturally this quote-unquote nerddom emerge over Mm -hmm. the last 10 years i think marvel cinematic universe has a lot to add to that and you know it's not cinema but it is okay well okay 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 all right so we're just gonna pause there before we just have an all-out brawl behind the mic uh thank you ben and ryan for being here on floor nine this is an excellent episode thanks for having us um adam as always uh love to have you behind the mic with me and um listeners uh if you like what you hear please tell a friend share follow us on social at ipg lab uh or sign up for our newsletter uh whatever you can do that'd be great so thank you And we'll talk soon.